Welcome back to the Line Podcast. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. And it's about 8.45. I'm here at my place. I'm drinking some tea, and I'm reading about the term Wu Wei, or I believe it's actually pronounced Wu Wei, which is a Chinese term meaning effortless action. The term is utilized in both Confucianism and Taoism and probably other places as well and is a fabulous concept to integrate into one's life. I got a quote from Jean-Francois Billetin. He describes it as a state of perfect knowledge of the reality of the situation, perfect efficaciousness, and the realization of a perfect economy of energy. So swimming with the river as opposed to upstream and all of the the plethora of different analogies that you could i'm sure come up with in your own mind so homework for the week oh if you want it start to pay attention to how life is happening for you is there some way that you are perhaps perceiving the world to be happening to you to be a victim, to be having to struggle and work and all that? Is there some way to start to align yourself with your daily experiences so that you are moving with the flow as opposed to continually struggling to paddle upstream against it? Ooh-way. Today's guest was my buddy, Pedram Shojai. Pedram's fantastic. I'm looking at his bio here on the internet. He's a film producer. Taoist minister, Uwe, lifelong student of various alchemical traditions, master herbalist, licensed acupuncturist. He's a badass. New York Times bestselling author. He's amazing. He's like a legit monk. He's going through it. And uh, I'm so grateful to get to share his perspectives today. This conversation was after a like, I don't know, 48 hour epic where I thought I was going to get lost on a mountain. I went and climbed Mount Whitney and got this like snow blizzard thing that came in. So pardon me. I'm very tired in this. I didn't sleep a lot before the interview, but I think Pedram does such a good job at showing up. So it works out. Okay. So really fun conversation. I hope you guys devour it. And final bit of news. We have updated the resistance band training program. So people ask me quite regularly about resistance band exercises for strength development. And so that's exactly what we broke down for y'all. You can go to alignpodcast.com slash courses, and then you can jump down to the ultimate align band exercise vault and it is presently on discount. So typically we would sell it for $147. We knocked it down to 67 bucks for a limited time. So breaks down everything you gotta know on how to strengthen your body using nothing more than lightweight resistance bands. I have been using resistance bands on the daily for the last nine months since the pandemic stuff. And uh, I use them for mobility, opening up the range of motion of my ankles, my knees, my hips, even opening up space around the ribs and the spine and the neck. And I mean, every joint in your body you can use bands for. And then also strength training. And that's what we put into the Ultimate Align Band Vault. So jump over to alignpodcast.com slash courses and get yourself started strengthening and mobilizing that sweet, sultry, voluptuous, fluid body of yours. All right, here we go. Back to the program with my guy, Pedro. Pow. First of all, 
something that I heard in another podcast is that you, did you study with the Dalai Lama? Yeah, I did. What? I got it. <laughs> really? On my, my magical mystery <laughs> tour. How did that yeah. happen? A lot of it was right place, right time. A lot of it was being, you know, in the world that I was in. I was in Dharamsala, and I found out that the Dalai Lama himself was going to start teaching about the Bardos. And the guy doesn't teach that much. And I just, by hook or by crook, I, you know, got letters of intrigue. I basically got myself in. Didn't know him, obviously, uh, until then. And then got in and spent, I don't know, I spent like a, a month up there in Dharamsala and spent a solid week studying the Bardos with his holiness. And, um, what a privilege, what a privilege. Um, the Bardos are, it's kind of a funky thing. You know, Tibetans grew up with all their myths. We grew up with Scooby-Doo, you know what I mean? Like we grew up with different myths that we, you know, can talk about and laugh about. For me, it was just a lot of really, really long names in a different language. And, you know, just kind of learning about the, the intricacies of their understanding of, the afterlife, the dream state, just all these realms that we don't even talk about here in this culture because we're so material, right? And so I got to sit, I don't know, eight feet away from the Dalai Lama. He blessed my mala beads and just, you know, listened through a translator. He actually taught it in Tibetan and we had a translator when I was there. I mean, he obviously speaks good English, but I didn't get any of that. It was actually more pure that way. It was just great. What do you think of the the, the difference culturally to with with in regards to children having those different types of, of stories growing up? You know, the, the Scooby Doo versus the the other side of the world. Just look at the look at the end result and the adults that live in those cultures, right? I mean, you know, worried about ghosts and deceit and stories that are all just kind of created to keep you watching and keep you distracted versus stories about morality. <laughs> ethics, hmm. gods, heroes, right? And so, I mean, you tell me, you hang around with the Tibetan people. They're just a happy people. They're moral people. They're an ethical people. Not to say the Americans in our culture aren't, but our kids don't really get imbued with that stuff, right? You know, maybe they get it in church. Maybe they get it from their folks. They certainly don't get it from Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. So you you were actually in Tibet? I was in Nepal and in India. Nepal. Yeah, Tibet, uh, you know, there's a long story about Tibet and China and why it's probably not even worth going. They all left. So, you know, like the Shaolin temple in, in China is like Chinese Disneyland, right? It's not the real Shaolin temple. They stood it back up to, you know, feign some sort of cultural relevance to tourists that will happily spend their money saying they, you know, they saw something cool, but the Dalai Lama lives in Dharamsala, India. So that's where I went. Awesome. And then you were actually practicing monk for several years. Yeah, I was a senior student under a Taoist abbot. What does that look like exactly? <sighs> you know, what, what does it look like now versus what it looked like then is very different. Our monastery got burned down during the Cultural Revolution. My grandmaster was off property at a different temple when it happened. And so they're like, yo, dude, everyone you know is dead and their temple's gone. They threw a couple of them in jail later, he found out. But um, they smuggled them on a boat the Tong, that's because that's how that world works. The underworld smuggled him out on a boat to Chinatown, San Francisco, where he lived for a few years and then made it down to Los Angeles and ended up teaching the first non-Chinese. Uh, one of three of those guys was my Kung Fu master. I you know, started studying with him and then I got to study with the old man for several years before he passed. But then they revived the lineage and they said, look, the temple's burned down, but Temples can be burned down. We're going to build a new temple in your heart. And man, it was a lot of work. <laughs> Kung Fu, Tai Chi, Qigong, 
just all that stuff every day for, for, you know, I mean, still to this day, but it was very intense for many, many years. How the heck did you get into that? Because I feel like that's a lot of maybe, I don't know, if you saw like the Karate Kid or something like that, a lot of young kids' dreams of doing something, something of that nature. At least I thought that would be pretty cool personally growing up. But bridging the gap between actually making that a reality, I mean, I think you're the only person that I know that did that. (laughs) So, (laughs) Yeah. Well, as that guy, then, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you, what what happened was, you know, yeah, I grew up like everyone else in my generation wanting to be a Jedi, but knowing that was fake because, you know, I couldn't buy a lightsaber, right? And and there was all sorts of things around that that, you know, relegated it to mythology. And then I was uh, I was at UCLA and I was having a crisis. I didn't want to go to Western Medical School after having interned in the hospitals and seen the underbelly of that shit. And I was confused. I was asking God for help and a book fell out of a bookshelf. And it was weird because it wasn't even the kind of book that you would expect in the university research library, right? It was a book about a Taoist master leading his disciples across a river. And I, you know, I had the wherewithal at the time to be like, okay, this wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. And it's super weird, but I'm going to take it as an omen and founded a school of Taoism, a Taoist Kung Fu school, not too far. I was in, you know, Westwood at UCLA and it was in North Hollywood. So anyone who's from LA knows that, you know, minus traffic, it's like, you know, eight minutes with normal traffic. It's now two hours, but it wasn't that far at the time. And so I went and found it and the dude was waiting for me and he was just like, I've been expecting you. And from that moment on, it just stayed weird. And I just trusted that I was in the right place and kept going. Do you think that that was some predetermined fate? And this is probably like almost like a you know, unnecessary question, but do you have any sense of whether that was like, if destiny exists? I, you know, I've questioned that over the years at this point, I would say that I think that's absolutely the case. And, you know, I've had visions and dreams and meditations and, you know, like, I don't know, I've been, I've been rolling with these guys for many lifetimes, it seems. Right. And so they're like, Oh, he's back in a Brown body. Okay. Over here. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So if destiny does exist, what's the the blueprint or the order of operations of getting out of the way of ourselves enough to allow that destiny to start to come through? Start listening, right? I mean, that starts, you know, it's like the work you do. You listen to your body. Um, You listen to your body. You listen to your breath. You listen to the wind. You listen to the instinct to say no and make a right instead of a left. And then you start retroflecting your attention back inwards until the nexus of awareness and consciousness reignites in your mind. And yeah, it's work. Like anything else, it's work. But if you want to wake up to who you are, and if you want to wake up and become conscious, there's practices for that. They've been around for 6,000 years. None of this is new, right? But you know, we come from a culture where we you know, feed sugar cereal to children, and we just, we're lazy, right? And so uh, lazy people don't get there, unfortunately. Lazy people can go take a bunch of ayahuasca at Burning Man and say, I love you, man. But eventually, you know, they got to pay the piper and, and come to grips with their their past. They have to reconcile, you know, the good deeds and bad, and they have to come whole, right? And that doesn't happen at Burning Man, right? That happens in the interstitial hours. Yeah. I wonder with you, have you had any any specific standout reconciliations with yourself? <laughs> if I don't have one once or twice a day, I feel like I'm being lazy. <laughs> Yeah. Any big Uh, ones though? uh, Well, I mean, lots of them, right? Like I had, um, you know, I had a cousin who committed suicide 
And it was so shocking. I was just in denial for a couple of years. And, you know, then I had to grieve. I grew up a, a refugee uh, coming from Iran and having lost everything and being the only brown kid in white schools. I mean, I learned how to fight, but you know, no one wants to be tough. Everyone just wants to be loved. And so I had to deal with the chippiness and the kind of the snarky asshole personality that I, that I wear on my sleeve to say, don't fuck with me. Seriously, it's just every single stupid little thing. More recently, it's how I catch myself parenting like my dad did, right? Right. right? You're like, God, I hated it when he did that. Now I'm doing that. What an unconscious asshole, right? Like, you know, and you had to come back and just be like, wow, I'm so sorry. I was being mindless and I forgot to love you for not knowing better, you six-year-old, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I just, I mean, every minute of your life is an opportunity to reconcile and wake up or to further reinforce a narrative that you've placed there to avert pain. Yeah, well, it seems like this kind of starts to get into your recently released book, Focus, which is that the concept of the book, I think, is like invaluable for the times. You know, we have so many companies, individuals, organizations vying for our attention, your attention, your eyeballs is like the the present hottest commodity, you know? And so that's consistent with, you know, anytime you get on your cell phone or your computer or any of that, they're just vying for your eyes, vying for your eyes. And so it's really hard, I think, to even have your own thoughts in some ways when you have all of these different individuals kind of snagging you. You So I wonder, what are some of those, those practices that you found to be valuable out of this, the ones that you've, you've dug into? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's going to sound cliche because everyone keeps saying it yeah. is, dude, if you're not meditating in a world that's just throwing mental junk at you all day, every day, yeah. you're going to have cavities. You got to floss your mind. And if your attention is the currency of the attention economy and your attention isn't focused back on the awareness of your body, your breath, what you're doing right now, how you're standing, whether you're hunched, whether you're, you know, twisted and all these things, right. That you talk about that people talk about and your attention is not here. Then where is it? Oh, right. It's on an Instagram feed. It's on the news. It's on the, you know, whatever the hell drama du jour. And that attention being pulled out of your body is pulling the energy because your, your energy will follow your mind your life's energy into whatever the hell that drama is. And you're going to co-create someone else's reality instead of your own. So you're being vamped, you know, beat around the bush. You're being vamped by a vampirical system that's designed to extract your attention, your energy, your money, and your time. Those are the only resources worth having on this planet. So, you know, hello. Why do you think people are so obliged to being vamped, myself included? Like I can stare into notifications and emails and texts and, you know, check all of the things on my phone for more time than I would like to admit. And I'm completely aware as I'm doing, I'm like, I'm just feeding like high fructose corn syrup bullshit into my brain right now. But I'm, I'm completely complicit with the act. All right. Yeah. So let me put that within the context of a, you know, a metaphor that you'd probably be really uh, excited about is... Why is my posture falling apart when all I do is bench press all day? And the question is, what are you doing for your posterior chain to balance out that muscle group, right? So you're sitting here tumbling down, you know, dopamine highway, right? And what are you doing 
to reinforce the serotonergic circuitry of your prefrontal cortex to balance out the dopamine pathways that have been studied ad nauseum by neuroscientists who have been employed by companies to keep you engaged and doing exactly what you're complaining about doing right there. So if you don't actually work the opposite muscle group, if you will, metaphorically, you're fucked, right? You don't stand a chance. I don't stand a chance. Give the Dalai Lama two years and I think he'd be like stuck on Instagram, right? It's just neurons that fire together, wire together. You're going to sit there and do that long enough. You're going to develop an addiction to the dopamine hits that these platforms are designed mm -hmm. to deliver. And so what's the order of operations of start? So just doing the other things, like where, where does one start? So start in the morning. I like to do Qigong and meditate before I pee in the morning because that's the first mindless thing most of us do. If it's either that or grab your phone, right? I will practice for about 25 to 35, 40 minutes before some kid jumps on me and is ends it. Is this every morning? Um, Son of a bitch. Every morning. Every morning. I always wonder if you yeah, people are like, like mythical creatures that are actually doing this stuff every morning because I go in like kicks. You know, I live like every morning for six days. <laughs> Do it every morning right. for 100 days right. until it's a habit, right? That's a problem. You're not doing it long enough yeah. to burn in a habit. But what's your habit? Then your habit on day seven is to check Instagram or, you know, see what he said yeah. or she said, right? And you fall right back down that rabbit hole of attention economy trying to grab your ass before you even start the day. And guess what? It's yeah, working. got me. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I guess the question is, if you're comfortable living in the matrix, then, you know, keep going. But if you want to live a meaningful, fulfilling, badass life, you're probably going to need to be back in the driver's seat. We'll take a moment and thank our friends over at Element, L-M-N-T. They are the absolute highest quality electrolyte beverage that I have come in contact with. The creator of the product is my good friend, Rob Wolf, who is an absolute badass and someone that I very deeply respect, admire, and trust. The contents of the packets of this LMNT recharge business is essentially sodium, potassium, magnesium. And that is what I like about it. It is not filled with a bunch of BS. It is straight to the point, tastes delicious. They've got various different flavors and you can get yourself a free sampler pack by going to drinklmnt.com slash align. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash align. So they'll send you out a free packet. You pay for shipping. So it's like five bucks for shipping. And you'll get a sample box of all the different flavors. And you can get started trying it. I personally put them in my water pre-workout, post-workout, just generally speaking, just makes me drink more water. And I love the stuff. So I think you guys are going to really dig it. If you do end up proceeding forward and buying some of your own after the free sampler pack, they have a really bomber money back guarantee. So if you've got any issues with it at all, you just don't think it's the bee's knees, then hit them up. No questions asked. You get your money back done deal. So got nothing to lose and uh, the electrical function of your nervous system to gain. So jump over to drinklmnt.com slash align to get yourself a free sampler pack. Pow. I just got back from this mountain adventure, solo journey up Mount Whitney, which I found out that you've done, did you say you've done it six times? I've been up there oof, six, amazing. seven, eight times. I, I've done the John Muir Trail, 
But I grew up in Cali, right? And so we would go up there. Then when I started doing it, then I became the rite of passage totally. dude, right? Where someone who wanted to do it would always ask me yeah. to take them. And, you know, not everyone yeah. was ready. Yeah. And that's the Art. thing. Did you summit all every time you made it? Or did you, how many times you summit? I've summited every time I've gone up. So six or six, seven, eight times. I got to go back and count. I just stopped counting because I just I do it a lot, right? So I've been up there a lot. It's it's not gorgeous. It looks like moonscape, but it feels yeah. great to be so, up that high. Um, so during that time frame, though, something that came about one. So when I went up, I you know I got to the top of the mountain, and there was like all this like fear. I should go back, you know. It's because there was these, these big looming heinous clouds coming in, and it wasn't summertime, so it wasn't a lightning storm, but it was a pretty nasty snowstorm with pretty high winds and like the threat of. A potential like whiteout type scenario where you're atop of the tallest mountain in the lower 48, just, just not where I'd want to be. And so I'm up there going through that scenario, and it felt to me like like a rite of passage type moment. And that's something that I think culturally we just don't have much of that in, in Western culture. And I think it's just such an invaluable invaluable experience for a young person to go through is having those moments of kind of like facing your fears and being able to step up into it. And I wonder if there's perhaps if we don't have that, I wonder if that perhaps maybe stunts the growth of the human psyche, perhaps like, like what's the value of, of rite of passage in, from your perspective? Ah, oh, it's everything. I guess we do have totally. it. pong, right? Like we have all these idiotic come of age rituals that are just primitive and not in the right way. Right. I mean, the Maasai boys got to go, you know, mm -hmm. face a lion. My six-year-old is already learning right. wilderness survival. You know what I mean? Like archery, all these types of things. You know, we, we came face to face with a moose the other day. That's real. Right. And so I think that that has been missing, not from all, like a lot of the city boys don't get it. A lot of the country boys do. And, you know, there's a lot of really weird, interesting fault lines that have kind of split America. And I live now in a red state coming from, you know, a blue state, right? And, you know, I try to kind of sit in the middle and not be judgy and, and just listen to everybody. And it's just, it's really interesting to see the different upbringings and how people kind of fall into these macros of beliefs that they think they need to espouse because they hunt or because they X, right? And it's all just bullshit. It's all just identity bullshit that is leveraged by, you know, very smart people doing the same thing we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, mm. gaming your attention. I heard you mention something previously. I thought that was really, I, I wrote it down. I thought it was nice of, of early on in life before we have kind of fully established our egos, we'll be reaching out and clinging for some type of identity structure. And then as you age, you can start to mature that ego and start to kind of almost like come at, at home with yourself in a way. I remember Something reaching like out for various different identities throughout my life, you know, of like, oh, I'm a mountain climber or I'm a surfer or I'm, you know, all these different things and never really quite feeling at home in myself, you know, always trying to like put these different masks on of like, oh, this is who I am. No, this is who I am. Do you feel like that's something that you've been through? And if you come to a point where you feel kind of like your ego has, has matured? Yes and no. I mean, uh, yes, I've gone through gajillions of masks. I've been, you know, every kind of mask, you know, like just all, all the way through, you know, from martial arts guy to, to party guy to nature guy to, you know, whatever, monk guy. All, the, all those are also storefronts, right? Now, there are certain storefronts that help you 
get by in the grocery store, right? You still want to like, you know, put on clothes and like, you know, have a semblance of having it together. So I think really the nature of this game, you know, living in the world that we live in is to establish the most frictionless storefront that allows you to be the most free, loving, and less judgy so that you can just roll and get along with everybody. Instead of saying I'm red team or blue team or, you know, you know, Atlanta Falcons, oh. you know, rah, right. And like, so all these, <laughs> fuck, right. Like, oh, it's just yeah. so exhausting. It's like, wait, now your identity is your yeah. team. Yeah. Like, ew. I have people like that. I grew up in Southern California. So I have like these people like, you know, unfortunately too close that are like, oh, USC. And I'm like, yeah. what? You pay them a bunch of money and now you like wear their tattoo on your ass. Like what's yeah. wrong with you? Right. And it's just the school spirit. You just want tribal and community. I guess what I'm like, I'm like meandering into, which again, I just got back from like a long mountain trip and I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. So this is probably going to keep on going directions like this. But if we are continually putting on those different masks and kind of trying on these different identity structures, where, where is you, you know, at what point is the identity structure like, oh, this is me. Uh, I mean, I'm in me. (laughs) When you feel like you got that answer, right. think again. Right. It's bullshit. Ramana Maharshi is my favorite Indian thinker slash saint. And his methodology I, I find to be the most useful, which is, you know, when you ask the question, who am I? The real question is who just asked that question and who's witnessing the asking of that question and who's witnessing that. And it just becomes this rabbit hole of bigger, better, deeper, and more important questions versus contrived answers. Like the you that you're searching for is infinite. So for you to try to define it by definition is a syntax error. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I guess, coming into a, a place of, of just complete utter acceptance as opposed to like a trying. It's just like, I guess, you know, we're doers, not beers, you know? And so it's like, what are you doing? So it's, it's an interesting thing. The, the amount of guilt that I personally experience if I'm not in a state of doing which, you know, I'm in, I'm in process of getting over that. But that's like so deeply baked in there. If you're not a doer, then what the yeah. freak are you? Yep. There's just, you're just a waste, waste of space. space. My dad is uh, German educated, right? So I grew up with a dad with German like work ethic. And like I used to pretend to be busy right. just to get him off my back, yeah. just to look busy. And it took me years to even acknowledge it, let alone start working on it. And, you know, there isn't a day in my life where I have to, like, not stop and be like, ah, mm-hmm. monkey, no. Right? Monkey, no. That's what I'm talking about. It's just these habits, these automatic habits that unless you become aware of, yeah. they just run your life. Right? You're yeah. just the busy guy. And so the title of the, the book, Focus, Bring Time, Energy, and Money into Flow. I think another conversation that is almost like a taboo conversation culturally is money. You know, if I talk about how much I, I make or something like that, that'd be like, Oh, that's incredibly rude. Or you, know, you don't, you don't talk about certain things. How much, what's the rent here? How much was this house? Like, it's just money. It's like, well, are we allowed to talk about that? Like, how's that work? But I think it's an interesting medium to be able to kind of like, in some senses measure how you're, not how you're doing, but I think everything is connected and how you do anything is how you do everything. And I think that a lot of people have a lot of guilt around money. If I make too much money, then, you know, that means I'm greedy. I'm, you know, all of these different stories, but coming into a healthy relationship with money, I think is also as equally valuable as coming in a healthy relationship with your health, with any relationship, right? 
Big time. Look, we trade our time and our energy for money all day, every day. You know, what's your rate? How much do you make an hour? How much did you make a month? And so that money gets traded for shelter, for food, for transportation, for, you know, real life concerns, real things, you know, not having money makes you think about money all the time. Yeah. turns out when you're broke, it sucks. So money has become this really weird subject. It's become my study in a lot of ways. I'm doing a film right now with Robert Kiyosaki, cool. who's an elaborate character yeah. to say the least, but it's just like, wow, why is money such like a, a blind spot, especially for people in the personal development, like religious communities, yeah. like evil, evil, evil. Yet every day of your life, you work for money and money makes the world go around and money can buy you politicians and elections and aircraft carriers. You know, I think that it's really, um, a wonderful, wonderful ploy from people who have money, print money, create money to tell everyone else not to worry about it and that it's evil to talk about it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and to maintain, you know, the order and, you know, the hegemony of planet Earth the way it is. And so I think the good people of the world need to understand money. They need to generate money and they need to use their money to back their morals and vote for ethical supply chains and soil regeneration and ocean cleanup and, you know, whatever the hell else you feel that needs your support. Turns out money goes a long way. And so not talking about money, I think is a sin. And I think that that has been projected on us so that we all just work and not worry about money yet. We have to worry about money all day. So for a person that is say they're doing really well with health, their health bank account, health is a very broad word, actually. Health actually just means whole, but their physical body and their nutrition and all that stuff, they have sweet muscles and they can run really far and their HRV is great, but they cannot figure out finances. Do you feel like there's like a common blind spot with people? Yeah. I mean, it's like saying, you know, someone who's got really, really good quads, but they have a, a knot in their shoulders, but everything else is great. I think that without the money part, they're always going to have other stressors. I mean, number one cause of divorce, you know, it's it's financial stuff, right? So if you're not tending to your life garden in a way where, you know, the money side is also handled and the family side is handled and you have the unbelievable body, yet you're not reading books or taking care of yourself or you're sweating your bills every month, something's going to give, something's going to break. Yeah. It ain't going to last right? You want to live a happy, healthy, sustained, balanced life. You can't look away from the blind spots. And if money is your blind spot, yo, look straight at it, mm. figure it out. What would you, Get where it would right. you say a starting? Cause this is literally coming from a, a message, a question that I recently got from a person on the internet. And they asked me about, I'm essentially like restating their question to you. And I was like, ah, I don't really think I'm the money expert. <laughs> like, you know, maybe at some point I'll do a podcast right. with somebody else that is, and I'm like, Oh, here we are. What right. advice right. or starting right. point would you recommend for that person? Well, first off, is it because there's not enough coming in or there's too much going right. out, right? Where's the balance? Because some people just suck at generating money because they don't understand value and the generation of value and the flow of money. Some people repel money because they've been taught that it's evil. And some people just aren't balanced. They have enough money coming in, but they just spend it on a bunch of stupid shit and wonder why they don't have money, right? So it really has to do with, it's just energy. Money is a currency, right? What is a current? It flows. So is there more flowing into you than flowing out? For this person, it sounds like there's less flowing in than flowing out. And so they're worried about it all the time. So, I mean, that's obviously kind of real big picture because I don't know this person's specifics. But I mean, there's just, there's a lot of belief systems around money that, you know, a lot of people 
deal with money the way a poker player plays on tilt. Like they're running out of chips so that they just keep betting all in, hoping that they're going to pull some like pocket aces or something and get out of their dilemma through a Hail Mary, right? And maybe it's just base hits. Maybe it's just figuring out how to generate some cash flow and really understanding the difference between assets, liabilities, understanding your balance sheet, understanding how money moves and flows and how money in our economy is just credit. It's just debt. So if you're worried about debt, you're missing the fact that money is debt. It is just issued credit. And so leverage credit the way you're supposed to, to then win the money game instead of be like, oh my God, I'm in debt, I'm in debt. It's like, you know what? Like some of the richest people I know are in hundreds sure. of millions of dollars yeah. of debt and they're happy about yeah. it. Yeah, and I think it's it's like being able to step back and instead of having guilt or shame around the game, being able to acknowledge it, that it is just a game and also acknowledging that you happen to have a piece when you came into having a social security number. It's like, cool, here's your monopoly piece. But that's not all of who you are but you do happen to have this piece and there you do have the opportunity to play this game. So not having any guilt around being effective with the game. I think there's there's something I've heard from somebody else that was like a money person talking about like your, your financial set point. And I think you can have this with your, your health set point, any kind of mold that you have in your life. We have this idea of who we are. And I think the big conversation is being able to actually make that jump or that transfer over into you know your present shell that you exist in and being able to transition into ideally whatever your goals are. But making that transition from one shell or story about yourself to another shell or new story, I think it's, you know, for me, in my my illusion, I think there's a lot to that. Like being able to rewire your story in a way. Do you think there's anything to that? hundred percent. Whether it's your family life, your personal life, your health, your sex life, if there's a part of your entirety that isn't working correctly, then it's time to rewrite that narrative. And if money is your thing, then then you got to figure out the money thing, right? And there's people, there's wonderful people out there teaching it and helping, and there's so much support out there. But most of us, you know, we just were, money's beneath us. Have you had a specific story around, it wouldn't necessarily need to be money, but it could be money, but a specific old story and transition into a new story. Has there been anything like that in your life that stands out? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I grew up. Remember, I was an immigrant. So my parents were like, yo, figure it out. We lost all our money. You need to like, you know, do that again. And then I was going to be a doctor. And then I went off to become a witch doctor and, you know, did all the monk stuff. Right. And when you're doing the monk stuff with monk people and like, you know, new age thinking and, you know, it's like my Kung Fu is the opposite of new age. It's like 6,000 years old. But I'm surrounded by all these like new age kind of free thinking metaphysics people. And, you know, it's just, they're all just a bunch of confused communists in a way. The viral mimetics of their belief system start to become yours because, you know, well, I'm one of those people. Therefore, I think that way. It's the same reason why, you know, red team and blue team are punching each other in the face, right? You just, you take on these macros in your identity. And so all of a sudden I have all this like money is evil shit and I'm having trouble with money. And and I'm sitting here like going, what the hell? What You know, I didn't used to be this way. And I realized I was repelling it because of my belief systems. And then I had to go back and hack into the programming that had infiltrated my consciousness. And that happens every day of every one of our lives. We're just not aware of it because we're just watching our show, right? It happens all the time. And if you're not mindful of how suggestible your subconscious mind is, you are working for someone else, buddy. Right? And so they got you. being able to rewind back and be able to kind of tap into some of that programming 
how does one start to do that? Does it come back to just meditate more or is there anything, other suggestions? Yeah. I used to, I used to be a meditation apologist and be like, well, right. people aren't going to fucking do that. So, you know, yeah. what else can I tell them? And now I'm like, listen, if you're not willing to meditate to like get your life back, I don't know if I can help you. <laughs> Sorry. It's about tuning your awareness back inwards and becoming aware of what's going on right now. Oh, I had a thought. Oh, I'm supposed to be breathing down in my lower abdomen. Oh, I had another thought. My leg hurts. My head itches. And just becoming aware of all these sensations and learning to not react to every little thing and learning to settle your breath down to your lower abdomen and learning to hit the switch between parasympathetic and sympathetic, coming back to parasympathetic, learning how to modulate your immunity and your consciousness and your NF-kappa B path. There's so many wonderful things that you could do by becoming aware of your breath. And we know that it all works and we know that it's all like the magic pill that if pharma had would be selling for gajillions of dollars, but no one wants to do it because it requires work, right? And so I just, I, I don't have time for that shit anymore. If someone doesn't want to like work on making their life better, I just, I don't, I don't, I can't help them, right? But if they're interested in making their life better and are willing to work, then dude, I'm here, right? I want to take a moment and thank our friends over at Bioptimizers for supporting our healthy gut biome. Your gut biome is a location that much of your neurotransmitters are produced. Many of your thoughts, feelings, your felt experience in your day-to-day life is actually a product of the bugs that are inhabiting your guts. So Bioptimizers created a fantastic product for us to cut out the bad, in quotation, bugs from our guts and reintegrate the good ones. So it's got all the prebiotics and probiotics and the things that your body needs to run optimally. Your immune system is in large part governed by your microbiome. And our immune system has never been more important than now, it seems. And uh, it's not wise to be dousing your world in disinfectant. I know that's kind of a contentious thing to say, but your body thrives on bugs. So if we are killing all of our bugs, that spells long-term trouble. So it is a really solid idea to start integrating some healthy bugs into our biome. And uh, that's what Bioptimizers has done for us. So you can get yourself a discount on the Gut Guardian. So jump over to bioptimizers.com slash align. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash align for a 10% discount on that Gut Guardian. They've got vanilla vegan. They've got chocolate carnivore and 100% money back guarantee. If you didn't love the stuff, it didn't support your guts and make you feel like a better version of yourself, They'll send you your money back. No big deal. You got a whole year to do it. That's it. That's all. Nothing to lose. A whole lot to gain. Hope you guys dig the stuff. Jump over to biooptimizers.com slash line 10% discount. Bam. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Stop Could meditation take on different forms? You know, so like having a consistent focus, sure. so a very common one to be focusing on your breath, or you could maybe focus on a mantra, but you could also maybe focus, you know, take a walk and focus on, on your steps or just focus on any point. I wonder. Yeah. Well, listen, I've been very clear about this over the years. You don't need to like go buy a Lululemon outfit and like, you know, park up and be like, oh, now I'm a meditator. Some of the best meditation I do is, is skiing oh, good. at high velocity down a mountain between trees. That's what I was hoping. Because I think that the seated meditation is kind of the most challenging in a way. And then from there, it seems like it's the baseline, that's the foundation. And then from there, that can stem into everything else. But that's 
I think opening space up for people to be like, maybe your meditation is, you know, skateboarding down the boardwalk. It's not enough. It's not enough. Let me bring you back. Cause again, this is where I was being a meditation apologist and being like, okay, if you have one piece of broccoli, yeah. I'll let you have a gummy bear. Okay. Right. Fuck All right. That. Fuck that. Sit on Good. your ass and meditate because, and look, I'm 45 years old now. You know what I mean? And I've gone through all these iterations. Sit on your ass and meditate because my friend Aaron over here says that when you sit on the floor, it opens up your <laughs> hips and it helps your circulation and it helps you engage your postural muscles and it helps yeah. your posterior chain and all these other things. And then my friend Pedram over here is saying it helps you drop your breath and, and access your parasympathetic nervous system and it helps push your immunity in the right direction and it helps bring down and modulate inflammation and it helps with dot, 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 a hundred thousand other things. Yet we're still playing let's make a deal and be like, okay, well, how about if I'm listening to a podcast while rollerblading with blue blockers on, <laughs> right? Like this is the this is the, the world we live in now, right? And it's just like, you know what, fuck, man. Just how about trying the thing that we know works? And yes, so it's gonna be hard for a minute. Then? What does it look like? Here's the only thing that's needed neurologically. Breathe down to your lower abdomen, so low diaphragmatic breathing, tip of the tongue touching the roof of the mouth. So engaging the upper palate with the tip of the tongue. And then you just need your knees bent so your gastrocs are relaxed, whether you're standing or seated. That's it. Everything else, you don't need to wear a yin-yang tattoo. You don't need to change your name to Patanjali. You don't need any of that stuff. But those three things done for at least 10 minutes every morning, ideally a little bit more, will then teach you to engage and access that state of consciousness and go back to that place. And the more you do it, the more you lengthen your fuse, the more you empower your prefrontal cortex, the more you're able to negate impulses that the monkey would make you make bad decisions with, and the the better your life gets. I mean, it's a very simple formula. Perhaps be able to access your own stories. You can be able to step, step back. Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. Then you're like, oh, that's interesting. My kid came in and said this, and I said this, and holy shit. I just realized that I'm doing what my dad was doing. Huh. Holy shit. I just did this thing that my mom used to do, and now I'm doing it too. Or wow, I'm doing this because I was bullied when I was a kid, and now I'm being like a tough guy because I think that's the only way people aren't going to know that I am weak inside. I mean, just keep going, right? There's a gajillion narratives that need to be deconstructed and you're not going to get there unless you develop the part of your brain that allows you to get there. And that's meditation. And I'm not saying this by, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, now, you know, and here's where you get the Pedram meditation for $299.99. We'll give you four payments. You know, fuck that. Just meditate, <laughs> right? Just meditate. I don't need you to buy any of my stuff. All right. I'm with that. Uh, so the other portion that I think is tied into all of this conversation and it's the subtitle of your book is the the time part, you know, and, and I think we can habitually become tuned to the belief that you know, there's never enough time, which is, again, it's a story. You know, it's a story that you've you've confirmed with yourself on repeat. And so coming into some semblance of, of control of your time seems like a valuable attribute as well. Is that just meditate more too? <laughs> well, well, meditation gives you the virus checker to know when you're not living yeah. in the moment. When you're not living in the moment, your cortisol is elevated, your heart rate's up, you have a different cadence to your voice which you can adjust when you could stop time. And so there's this huge range that you find in time compression versus time's spaciousness that can only come when you become aware of how you're passing your time and how your heart is beating 
And so all of these things are tools. I actually like doing things like HIT training and just high velocity, high heartbeat type of training, and then slowing my roll and finding the dynamic range. It's almost like tempering with temperature extremes, right? I'll go from my steam room to my snowy backyard and roll around and do snow angels and push-ups, and go back into the steam room or not. Same thing with time. If you can't find a way to flex it and understand how to dilate and speed it, you're just not controlling all the dials yeah. on your human switch. I feel like in relation to coming back from, say, like a, a trip where you, you traveled to a new country or you know this, this past weekend going up Mount Whitney and doing that whole thing. So it was a three-day process, but it felt like essentially like two weeks. Like it felt like a whole lifetime. And I think it's such an interesting mm. thing, the way mm. that we perceive time. You see with this with you know the usage of psychoactive substances as well, where it's like five seconds could have felt like three days. And it's like our perception of time, mm-hmm. if you wind that back and like, well, what is, you know, it's okay. So the average human lifespan is 78.3 years or whatever. Like how much perceived time was that? It's like, well, well it depends on how you, how you ran the game. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so- yeah. Was that dude in World right. War Two or not, right? Like there are there are different qualities of time. There are fast times and slow times. I mean, look at look at what happened with COVID. Everyone's like fucking stuck yeah. at home and like feeling sorry for themselves. And in 2019, everyone complained about not having enough time. In 2020, everyone complained about not knowing right. what to do with all the freaking right. time that was on their laps. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, so what I, is that? Have you had any experience with that of, of like time dilation? Is that something that you've you've experienced in your own self? My second book was called The Art of Stopping Time, and I'm about to teach a course on lucid dreaming and um, stepping out of time and healing your body and healing, you know, doing things in your dream state out of time to radically transform your life. And um, it's the kind of stuff you do as a Taoist monk, right? I live in the world, but I come from a very interesting lineage and training where, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, time's all you got. When you're out of time, you're done. When you're out of energy, you could rest and get more energy. When you're out of money, you could file bankruptcy or make more money. When you're out of time, mm. we bury you. So what are you going to do with the time you have mm. left on planet Earth? Is there any kind of action steps towards creating a more spacious sense of time in one's life? What's what would be like the, the go-to? Sure. Well, I mean... I hate to sound like a one trick pony, but I can teach you a meditation that does that, right? Is to dilate time by lengthening your breath and learning how to get more tempos in with your inhales and your exhales so that you can settle into a different relationship with time. Like, you know, if you're wearing a a watch that's ticking, it's going to keep doing what it's doing, but your perception of time becomes radically different and your consciousness gets enhanced in ways that are off the clock. These are all well within the realm of human capability and can be taught within, you know, minutes and practiced and, and enjoy the benefits within a week. The question is, would you rather do yeah. that or watch your Seems show? like time, like linear time is kind of like a, an anchor point that culture has agreed upon to be able to come back to. And then beyond that anchor point, it's almost like we're all our own kite. You know, we can fly any which direction that we want to. We go up and down and in and out, you know, and then we eventually can come back and say, okay, cool. Let's meet at 4 p.m. EST. <laughs> but beyond that, it's like, it's yep. your own game. It's a problem. <laughs> Do as you wish. Dude, it's a problem the uh, the British had with uh, putting a train system in India. They're like, these fucking guys <laughs> don't care. I said to, 
I said two o'clock, right? And, and like they just didn't live on a linear time scale. And they had to like just, you know, it took forever to put a train system that worked because they just lived in a different notion of time. I've spent a lot of time with shamans and, you know, the woo, and they live in a different time zone, man. They really do. I live in time, but I like to depart from time oftentimes by scheduling time that mm. is timeless mm. on my calendar. Is the timeless time meditation breath stuff? Sometimes, sometimes it's walking in the woods. Sometimes it's skiing alone. Sometimes it's meditation breath stuff, right? Like I'm a dad. I got a lot of moving parts, but I start my day with meditation and breath stuff. So that sets the tempo for the rest of the day. Well, I really appreciate you. I so greatly appreciate getting to have conversations like this with any, any human being. I'm so glad that you're, you're here to entertain these types of conversations. So where should people go to go deeper into your, your work? You have so much stuff. We only like touched on a, a small fragment of the world of Pedram. Where, where should people go from here? Thank you for the kind words. Um, so theurbanmonk.com, um, you could go find, you scroll down where my new book, I actually have a, a new course, a 21-day free course for anyone to get more focus. And I teach a bunch of meditations and stuff there. I have a, a number of courses in my Urban Monk Academy. I got, you know, I don't know, six or seven books out. And then I have a bunch of films and series that I make. And those are all under my uh, streaming service called Whole TV, W-H-O-L-E.TV. And... Um, between those two places, it's most of where I, I spend love it. my and then, time. And then the book is Focus. Focus, bringing time, energy, and money into flow. Available now, anywhere books are sold. And I actually started listening to it because I was like, wow, well, I should probably know what I said. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, you, you, yeah you, I like you, this. You approve. <laughs> right? Like, I'm okay with yeah, this. I'm glad to hear that. That's, it's Pedram approved. Yeah, great. yeah. It's I'm getting a lot that's of really great. good feedback. Well, because I have a lot of like I got a lot of corporate executive dudes, and then I have a lot of you know people that are like you know on a, on a yeah. spiritual mystical path. And somehow this book is serving both sides of that you know that spectrum, which is you know a really hard yeah. balance to strike. So you know for me that's a that's a success metric. I don't you know if it sells well, cool. But you know for me to be able to reach the the kind of extremes in our society and bring them both to kind of thinking about their life garden. You have seven cool. books. Yeah, I think so. If, yeah, if so. you were to listen back to all of them, do you think you'd still agree with all of them, or would there be parts where you're like, oh man? You know, my first book was way more monk than urban. Um, it was called Rise and Shine. I ended up kind of rebuying it and selling it to uh, Sounds True, and now it's called Inner Alchemy. And we had to like kind of ab- abridged and modified and changed some stuff. It was very, very deep. It had a lot of really relevant stuff for people on path, but it didn't speak to like, you know, the lawyer who's listening yeah. to this right now, right? It was just like, okay, a little woo. And then, you know, I just realized I wasn't really helping the people I was here to help by doing that. And it's the same thing you talked about. It's like the narratives. I'm like, oh, I talk like these people now because I spent a lot of time with these people and I consider myself one of these people instead of not those people. That's fucking bullshit, right? And so I'm just a guy who's trying to speak to as many people as I possibly can and help them. So why would yeah. I speak in woo? I think the, the, the book thing is kind of interesting because it's kind of like the, the analogy of the, the anchor point of linear time and then the kite of perceived. Like the book, it feels like it's, it's this static state thing where you put this idea down there and you're like, okay, this is the way that I feel for the rest of my life. You know, this is my statement, you know, but it ultimately, I think it's like, we're all flexible creatures and, you know, our, our thoughts and ideas inevitably can change. And that's, it's not just okay. I think that's ideal. It's like an indication that you're, you know, you're an evolving human being. So it's like getting out and just like, just fucking write the book or, you know, put out the podcast or put out whatever the thing is. 
you know, and, and grow from there and, and acknowledge for me, acknowledging that probably most of the stuff that I look back at from five years ago, there's probably going to be some, some cringing for me as my, my personal experience with all of it. It's like, Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Just keep going. Yeah. But the flip side is look how many people yeah. you're out here helping. And I, I got a buddy who's like way more intelligent than me. And I've been trying to get him to like get out and do something like this for a decade. And he's just so paralyzed by the fear yeah. of being judged and paralyzed by, you know, saying something that will be rendered uh, irrelevant a decade from now right. that he doesn't do any of it. And so he's living a small life and I just, it's, it's sad. So just get out there. It's okay. People make mistakes. People forgive, right? It's it just get out there and do what calls you and your your work will grow too, right? And that's to anyone who's like, you know, sitting on that right now. I felt like an imposter until sure. I didn't. And you right? probably um, will will again. Well, if think, you if you don't feel like an imposter, it means you're not evolving into a bigger shell. Like you there's never in in the life game, I, I think it's it's just an ongoing process of moving from shell to shell, probably I mean for me up to this date. So I don't think the, me personally, I always speak for myself, I think the imposter syndrome for me, once again, is like a good indication that I'm, I'm pushing growth. It's not a bad thing. No, it's, it's a, it's an interpersonal, psychological, mental, hormetic stressor. And if you're not getting that, then you're right. just playing small ball. And, you know, you might as well just go back to watching Scooby-Doo, right? Like it just, it doesn't pull you out, up and out into a bigger, better, grander life. And that's what you deserve. That's what we all deserve. I love it, man. You got to go do monk things. I'm going to go surf in the the dirty ass uh, Venice beach water. And <laughs> put something yeah. in your ears yeah. i so greatly appreciate it. i appreciate it. yeah man. i appreciate having the conversation man yeah. thank you really. um let me know if you come out to la are you in utah now i'm in park oh, city right. utah i live on the slopes of deer valley i it's too late now but literally i could step out for an hour and ski like five runs just from That's where right. i'm standing right now biggest life Dude, sounds like ever. sounds like you you made ever. it I did. I, no, I saw it. Oh yeah. But I mean, you know, who knows where I go from here, but the thing is I wanted to live. So I have fiber optic internet at a house that's 8,500 feet in elevation that has a, a heated driveway. So my wife isn't bitching about like being stuck on an icy rock, right? Like I literally manifested the exact existence on the edge of wilderness where I can ski and there's like moose in my front yard. And I'm five minutes from the basically main street, main part of downtown park city anyone could do what they want within their means and they could grow their means if they play a bigger game. Right. That's it. I didn't, you know, I didn't start rich. I started as a poor refugee. Right. And you just work your ass off for what you choose. And last thing. So final bits of wisdom on putting a person transferring shells, use the language I was using or, or playing a bigger game. Is there anything that you would recommend to like come from that point that you were to come to the point that you are now transitioning into a bigger game? I'm going to go right no, back I to it. And you're going to hate it. me for it. You're going to start meditating. You're going to start All meditating right. tomorrow morning. And if it's early enough, you're going to start meditating this morning. And you can start meditating every day because without your focus, your attention, your awareness, um, and we didn't get into like the, the mechanics of this, the Chinese call it the Shen, which is the mind or slash spirit. If it's not in your heart, then your energy is following it out of your body and you are a disembodied hungry ghost come back. This book to me is a cultural exorcism masked in what people think they want, which is more time, money, and energy. Um, you will get your life back by bringing your attention back inward. And that's really the, that's the coup. That's why I wrote this book. What a great way to end. All right. Well, thank you for 
all that, man. I really appreciate you. And uh, I look forward to our next, our next encounter whenever that comes. Yeah, man. All right. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the surf. Thank you, Pedro, for sharing all the, all the lovely, lovely ideas. And uh, I'll see y'all next week. Thank you all so much for tuning in to that conversation. If you enjoyed it and you want to share it, you can share it on the Instagram, be likely place. You can tag me at a lame podcast. You can tag Pedram at official underscore urban monk. Alrighty. That is it. That is all. I so greatly appreciate you guys leaving reviews. Whoa, man. That's such a supportive thing to do. Doesn't take a lot of time. And uh, Spotify, iTunes, whatever player you utilize, dropping a little five-star review in there is majorly supportive for the old algorithmic gods to know that people listen to this and that's one of the best things you can do i read them all and i appreciate them and even if you don't leave a review i still appreciate you listening appreciate you sharing it appreciate you doing you okay i think that's it i'll be looking forward to whispering into your sweet sultry ear holes next week thanks for tuning in Bye.